0: This is Petticoat Rule, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. Host Erica Lang, and let me introduce producer Tara Molesworth. Hello. And today's guest is Karen Dietrich. Hello. Pittsburgh-based indie rock band Essential Machine. She plays more than one unusual role as a woman in this musical adventure. Playing to see, she keeps the beat as their rock-solid drummer, which is an instrumental role that is probably one of the least populated by women. Less obvious to an unaware concert goer, she is the mother of one of the band members. Like a hip synthy twist on the canonical family band, Essential Machine is comprised of Karen, her husband, RJ, her son, Robert, and her neighbor, Matthew. Essential Machine has been evolving for almost a decade and shows no signs of stopping as they are making their way onto bigger stages and garnering recognition along the way. Finally, Karen is a creative writer by trade, which surely dovetails into her work in essential machine as a prominent lyricist and songwriter. Karen is an example of someone who successfully integrates across differing creative activities for a life full of invention and expression, which furthermore, she shares with her son. I can't imagine a better lesson. Today, I hope to hear a little bit about her perspectives on integrating her creative pursuits, what it's like to be a female drummer and a mom to a bandmate, and also, how did you get Dwight Schrute to be your
1: general manager? Oh my gosh, you are good.
0: I'm the internet you are OG. Good. <laughs> Actually, that one's pretty easy because it's just on the it. about page for your Facebook <laughs> and um, Essential Machine. But yeah, that's like a little joke I saw there. Like, oh, yeah, that's I don't true. think
1: anyone's ever brought that up before. So thank you. You get me. You get I
0: get me. you. Yes. I get you. I do. I do. And um, Essential Machine. So I want to talk about that a little bit first, I guess. Um, y- you guys played last night. Yes. I saw, I didn't see you. I missed you by like minutes and I'm so mad about it. Aww. Yeah. Actually, I talked to a woman there who expressed to me her sentiments about watching you and I wanted to share it with you. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I was telling her how upset I was that I missed you. And she's like, oh, it was really good. She's like, I don't even... It made me really miss going to concerts. I used to be around and doing this kind of thing and going to shows and listening to Essential Machine made me really miss that because they're so good. She said, I'm going to confide in you that I just went through a bad breakup. And just like the emotions of the music really came to me and hit me. And she said, I would definitely see them again. And I just don't say that about very many bands. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and that you like brought her to this place where she wants this experience again, the experience of going to see live music and feeling that way mm-hmm. and through that medium and that you stirred her
1: emotions. Wow. Thanks yeah. for sharing that.
0: I had that's to. really cool. I had to because anytime <laughs> wow. that I feel like anytime, like this is why people do music It's like, it's too emote. And if someone can receive that, mm-hmm. that's like you won. You did it. Right? Yeah, that's the goal for yeah. sure. Is
1: it the goal for you? Yeah, that's definitely the goal for me as an artist and in, in everything I do. I mean, in music and in, in creative writing as well. It, it's me just wanting to reach out and make an impact on somebody because the people who have inspired me, whether they're musicians or visual artists or writers, they've inspired me because they've made me feel something. If I could make somebody else feel something, then then I feel like that's, you know, that's the goal. That's, (laughs) that's having made it quote unquote in my eyes as an artist.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. So is when you're trying to make someone feel something, do you, are you wanting them to feel, do you have like, I want them to feel like this, or do you have like, I'm feeling like this and I want to accurately portray that feeling?
1: Yeah, I think it does come from a, a, a personal place. So when I, you know, I, before I wrote, ever wrote a song lyric, I wrote poetry. And that's really where I, I was coming from. And um actually, the first time I ever wrote lyrics to a song was for my husband, RJ's band way back in St. Petersburg when we were living in Florida. Our son was just a baby. He wasn't even a year old yet because we've moved around so much that I, I know like what year it was or based on where we were living, you know, so I'm like, Uh okay, we were in apartment 225. So I know that he wasn't quite, (laughs) and we, we moved out of that apartment right after my son's first birthday, he was not yet a year old. And so my husband at the time, you know, having a kid, he sort of, his band didn't really like break up, but obviously, you Uh know, it was kind of difficult, you know, (laughs) to keep things going when you've got an infant. And, you know, we were very young. So my husband was 22 and I was 24 when our son was born. And so, you know, obviously we were like the only people in our friend group that had a baby at the time. His bandmates would still come and kind of hang out and everything, but they weren't necessarily like really pursuing music at the time, but they were still kind of writing riffs and stuff like that. And, and RJ had said, well, you know, I really kind of want to write songs again, but I don't know. I'm feeling really kind of stuck with lyrics because he always wrote all the songs for his bands and wrote all the lyrics and I just kind of was like, hmm, you know, maybe I could write song lyrics because how different is it from, you know, writing sure. a poem, you know, yeah. like, how is it and I do lots of, you know, I've always have notebooks full of journaling type stuff and free writing and just ideas and everything. So um I ended up just writing some stuff and, you know, bringing it to him and kind of was like, I don't don't know, you know, is this, could this be a song, you know? He was like, sure, of course it can be. So I sort of like brought him kind of back to that creative place after becoming parents, because I think we were both at a place where we were kind of like, oh, you know, can we really be like, you know, creative people now that we've got this little person that our main job is to kind of, you know, keep this person alive and provide for them, you know? like, is it really like something that we can still do? And also just, you know, at the time being, you know, a really young mom, which I mean, I guess maybe some people wouldn't think that 24 is a a young mom, but it definitely was for me, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. as far as um, being at that point in my life and kind of taking on this new role and having this new part of my identity and everything. And it was like, well, can I still create, is this still something that's, you know, going to be a part of me? So it was, um, It was just neat to kind of like bring us back to life as Uh kind of like creative people. It was this song. And now, of course, the lyrics looking back, I mean, it makes me completely cringe. We both laugh about these lyrics that I had written for this song. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Originally, yeah, back in, you know, because this would have been like the year 2000 or it might have been like early 2001. So our, um, you know, the music was a lot different, but yeah. but once I wrote that, those lyrics to that song, and then, you know, RJ and his one bandmate recorded it because we had, and we had like record, he's been doing like home recording stuff since literally like 1997, I think is when he bought his first computer. He was so proud of it. Um... You know, he had no credit or anything, and he really, you know, had no money. And he wanted to, you know, be able to have um, something he could record with. So he found this, like, local guy in Tampa that had, like, a little computer shop that let him make payments on this software. (laughs) They recorded this song, and it really kind of brought back, like... His band, basically, they kind of got back together, so to speak, because they were like, "Okay, now we have got somebody to write lyrics." And so, mm. <laughs> um, I ended up writing and working with RJ on most of the lyrics for um, his band back then. And I mean, they they did a couple of albums. They just they didn't really. I don't know. DIY was a lot different back then. So yeah, for sure, you know, I think it was a lot harder to get noticed even. So they put things out, but I don't think they ever even really like put... It was all... MySpace. Yeah, that kind of thing, you know. (laughs) And they played shows and things like that. So um, yeah, but that's how I really got into, you know, realizing that I could write lyrics. Sure. And then um, I learned how to play guitar, um, actually, when I was pregnant with my son, which was really funny because I was pretty... (laughs) Yeah, far along at the time so I was yeah so it was so cool. I've because- seen a lot of fat guys yeah. in big valleys <laughs> and it just
0: hangs out on the front of them right. and they're like playing out with their arms. <laughs> you gotta have good upper arms trying to hold your arm out like
1: that the whole time. (laughs) So it was, it was really like refreshing actually after I gave birth and was like, oh, now it's a lot easier to play because I (laughs) learned while I was, you know, pretty far along in my pregnancy and it was, um, and the guitar I was learning on was an ovation that RJ had at the time and Mm -hmm. they have the rounded turtle kind of back. Mm -hmm. And so it was like even more (laughs) sort of cumbersome. (laughs) So, um, so, um, the first Christmas actually, um, so like, so Robert was born in 2000. 2001. So it was Christmas of 2001. He was born in May of that year. And for Christmas that year, RJ got me my first guitar that was my own. And it's actually, we. it's one of the only musical instruments we still have because, you know, we've sold things and sure. pawned things over the years and traded and, and whatnot. Um, but it's really become, it's just a Washburn. It was like a $100 guitar. It wasn't anything, you know, it's just an no, acoustic. but it was yours. Yes, it was mine. And that's what I continue to learn and on. And symbolic also. Yes. You know. And now it's really like, it's the songwriting guitar. So that's the guitar that we use at home for, you know, picking up to just play around Uh or to write songs and all that kind of stuff.
0: Sure. So when you wrote those lyrics for them, you weren't playing with them. Right. You were just writing lyrics. That's kind of like ghostwriting in music (laughs) or something like that. Like you're the silent partner back yeah, there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just the silent.
0: Did you, did, it, did you feel like you wanted to be more of a, a part? Is that, did you, did you say like, Oh, not only can I do this, but also like, mm-hmm. I want like part of the process as well in terms of like the making the live performance of the Music that Mm -hmm. you just
1: wrote Yeah that definitely was That's kind of like how I got like the You know the songwriting bug or however (laughs) You know and the musical bug I guess because I had grown up Singing all through school and I never Played an instrument though but I was really into Like musical theater and singing and Performing and all that kind of stuff And I've always loved music you know and i was always as a kid i mean i can literally remember you know thinking to myself like how do people write songs like it's magic i wish i knew how to do this magical thing that i you know love so much um and so when i met rj and found out that he was a songwriter it was kind of like wow, so this is a person that actually does this, you know, like how cool is this? But I still even then thought, well, I could never like, sure, maybe I could write the words because I'm a writer and, you know, I feel comfortable with that, but I could never actually, you know, cause I didn't play an instrument mostly, I think. So learning how to play the guitar then, cause he taught me, um, and then getting my own guitar, I actually started writing on my own then. And, um, I was a high school English teacher at the time. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, which might not have been <laughs> the, um, best way to use my power of having a captive audience but (laughs) i would bring my guitar in sometimes and um play some songs for my students crazy
0: mrs d yes exactly exactly (laughs) let's
1: let's probably like movie day or
0: something yeah yay we don't have to learn yeah yeah, i was like well you know i have
1: this audience they kind of are stuck you know they can't really (laughs) go anywhere so your first concert's yeah, so some That's of so great. Yeah, so some of my first performances really in front of people were, you know, bringing my guitar in for the kids and yeah. playing and it was always, you know, it, and and they were they were very sweet, you know. I mean, they were really like actually I remember um the first time that I brought the guitar in, so I had a couple of um Bright Eyes covers that I um played for them and then i had this one original song it was like the first original song that i had actually written all the music myself rj did help me with it of course because we just kind of collaborate on stuff and we don't necessarily say oh yeah i did this and you did that it's just kind of like we just Uh you know worked on it together but i wrote all the lyrics and um It was funny because I sort of um, unofficially called it my angry folk song because it was, um, you know, I wrote it during, um, well, that would have been like 2004. Yeah. And so politically things that were going on, you know, I was angry about some things. Uh And so it wasn't an overtly political song, but it was definitely a song that was sort of like, you know, saying some things that I felt like I wanted to say about, you know, things that were happening. Mm -hmm. And it really was a song about feeling kind of powerless and wanting to find your your voice and find your power and everything. And so I was really nervous to share that with the kids, obviously, because it was my own, you know, creation rather than just playing a cover. And I remember this, um, when I was done playing my song, one of the little girl. Well, they weren't that little. They were like in 10th grade, but she raised her hand and she was like, um, not to be rude, but why are you a teacher? Like, why aren't you just doing this? Yeah. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, Oh, you know,
0: like you don't know the real world yet. Yeah, exactly. So cute. Thank you. It was so cute.
1: Yeah, it was just one of those things where I was like, "Oh, all right." You know, that little bit of like validation, that's encouragement. Yeah, yeah, and encouragement. Sure. So I always remember that student for saying that. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> um, I was gonna ask, like, it's just an interesting thing that you did that because my basic question is like, how nervous were you? Because <laughs> these are people that you're you're the authority figure, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you're in control over them and in a way. I mean, yeah, you don't really control them, but you know, they do their own thing, but you've got the grade. You're, <laughs> you're the, yeah. You're like, you're the authority figure. Yeah. Right. And then, then you put yourself in a situation where, you know, it's sort of when you're doing a creative thing and you're playing for other people, you're in control, kind of like you're doing your own thing, but then the audience is kind of the one who's grading you if exactly. you will. Right. Yeah. So like you flipped the roles there, but maybe not maybe not to them, like maybe not perceptible to them, but mm-hmm. inside of yourself. Like, did yeah. you feel nervous like you were playing in front of like a crowd of people who <laughs> might judge you like at an acoustic cafe or something? <laughs> or did you feel like these are just my students and they got to take this?
1: You know, I was pretty nervous. Yeah. I was definitely nervous. I felt you know I just felt pretty vulnerable to sure. to share that with them but at the same time I mean obviously it's something that I wanted to do you know I chose to do it and I had thought about it for a while and you know RJ really encouraged me and was like just go for it if that's what you know if that's what you want to do uh-huh. then you know share that with them and it really you know any class because I didn't I didn't play for every single class, you okay. know, but the ones that I did, I did notice that like sharing that with my students, I think that they really, um, it, it meant something to them, I think, to see their teacher being vulnerable and... It
0: probably made them see him as a human being. Right. Sort of evil
1: teacher person. Yeah, it was definitely a, a shift. I think it <laughs> helped, <laughs> you know, and I was honestly, you know, I, I taught high school for four years. And during that time, I, I found out that, you know, I'm really not A good authoritarian. I love teaching and I love, um, you know, interacting with people and, you know, guiding them and sharing things with them. But the part of it that I don't like is having to, you know, have classroom management and, you know, make sure that, you know, um, kids aren't walking up around the room and, you know, shouting things out or whatever. You know, yeah, like that wasn't they, my yeah. strong part of it. Um, so maybe more of a college professor yeah. like vibe for you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I did notice that, like, even the classes that, you know, like the one class I remember playing for, they were kind of more of a challenging class on the behavior side, you know, like managing um these kids. And after playing music for them and sharing that with them, I felt like they actually had more respect for me and treated me better
0: Mm -hmm. as a, you know, I felt a human being. Yeah. yeah, That's so great. Yeah. The power of music, (laughs) so many dimensions in which it has the power to connect across people is really cool. So I, an element of the story you just told that I really, really kind of find touching is this idea that after you had a baby, you know, that's an act of creation too, right? <laughs> you like, created yes. this thing. And then you have all these other creative sides to you, and it sounds like you almost felt like it was like indulgence or something to to partake in those other things. Is that what it is? That what you're kind of talking about? Like if you felt guilty
1: for in a way doing yes. other things. Yeah, and it's interesting now because you know my son's 16 years old now, so I feel like so much time has passed, and I have a different perspective now on motherhood and on kind of my identity. I've always been really kind of obsessed with identity that's kind of if there's one theme in my life it would be like who am i, who am I? <laughs> and i'm the same way and why am i this person and why are you you and you know and how do i kind of you know manage all the different facets of of who i am and you know it's just it's just something that i've always been really interested in and so when i had a child and became a mother um, as I'm sure you can imagine, because of like, you know, society and our culture, there's so many stereotypes about motherhood. There's so many expectations we put on women. There's so many, there's just so many things. And I think that, you know, uh, like, for example, women are looked at more as, you know, like the main kind of caretaker of the child. So, you know, people aren't really asking men, oh, how do you manage being a father and working? You know, nobody asks know, right? guys that, you know, like, I don't think anybody's ever asked RJ, when they find out that he, you know, has a kid, no one's like, oh, wow, how are you in a band and you have a kid, you know, like, but if they find that out about me, then it's a little more like, oh, wow, you know, because I'm the mom, but, um, well, you fix that by putting your kid in the band. Yeah, that's one way to, yeah, that's one one way to to take care of that. Exactly. Um, But whenever I became a, a mother, it really did kind of throw me for a loop in that whole identity sort of game, because now it's just this other layer of some guilt. I mean, I guess just to be honest about it, and I've honestly had conversations with my son about this now as he's gotten older, because we have a very open relationship, the three of us, my husband and my son and I. So I've even been able to talk to him about it and kind of let him know that, hey, you know, like when you become a parent, there's just uh, some things that you deal with, especially when it comes to wanting to be a creative person who has a regular job, who has creative things they want to do, who has a little person that they really care about and Mm -hmm. want to make a good life for. But there is, there was definitely some guilt involved because it was kind of like, okay, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to spend time writing songs or Mm -hmm. working on music when I should be, you know, the expectation from society is that I live for this small human being and that I do everything in my life for this person. So how can I do something creative, which doesn't seem to benefit my kid? It only benefits me. But I think what people don't realize is that that benefits your child too mm-hmm. you know if you can still have that as a part of of your identity as a parent
0: yeah well i mean especially in this microcosm of your nuclear family how you have pulled it together into a band experience and how your son is a musician and mm-hmm. how he values self he probably values self expression and all of these things that yeah. you are you're setting that example for him through maintaining that for yourselves as parents while raising him Mm -hmm. and even bringing him into that world, which is like, so, I mean, it's really, it's really cool. Although probably not everyone can do that, but like, it's really nice when he was a kid, when did you give him his first instrument and what was it? What did, did he gravitate towards it? Did you guys just let him
1: pick one up and see what happened?
0: Or were you like, you will learn this instrument and go, you know?
1: Well, he started – well, first of all, I mean, he started just loving music as a listener first from a very young age. In fact, um, if and when he listens to this, he will be embarrassed by this story. But um, when he was about – okay, so this was – Death Cab for Cutie, their record Plans was out. Uh And based on where we were living, because I can remember the apartment we were in, I think, I want to say it was 2005 or 2004. Um, At any rate, we always were playing music around the house and in the car. So our son's been listening to, you know, contemporary music. We never really were like, oh, let's play Mary Had a Little Lamb or Ro Ro Ro. You know, like, Uh we were those parents that we were just like, well, in the car, just because there's a toddler in here, we're still going to listen to, you know. Smiths. Yeah, we're still (laughs) going to get used to this life. Exactly. We're just Going to listen to what we listen to, so you know we never really like censored anything for him, and so he would just listen to and start to like the song a lot of the stuff that we liked, and so we really liked Death Cab for Cutie and that album Plans that came out, and um, there's a song I will follow you into the dark, and my son at about four years old, it's good one, knew all of the words. And four at four knew all of the words (laughs) and was sitting there. I have this memory. It was funny because he got a gift for Christmas. That was like a little karaoke machine that you for kids, you know, like a toddler type thing. And the whole thing was you could like plug it into the TV or something and sing along with things on TV. I don't know. So we ended up playing. We played the death cap for QDCD through the, (laughs) you know, like DVD player or whatever. And he just sat there with his little microphone and just sat on the futon and sang the entire song <laughs> along with Aww. the record. And, um, like I said, he's heard me tell that story before, but yeah, he doesn't it's, like it.
0: It's but... too bad that YouTube and viral videos weren't quite as oh, yet I know because that would have been like a money maker.
1: He could of went to
0: college off of that <laughs> video, yeah. We didn't even
1: have, yeah, we didn't have a smartphone then, we didn't have like yeah. you know, we didn't have a lot of things to like do quick recording, but um, but yeah, he was you know a music lover from the beginning and so but when he actually started playing an instrument wasn't until um he he took up the flute for school Mm. so i believe it was um fourth grade is when they got to choose you know like start with band and he wanted the flute right away he pretty much knew that's what he wanted um i think mostly because of um the Legend of Zelda, and oh, Link. the Ocarina and, of time, yeah. yeah, and that was one of his favorite like games. He's playing like Epona's song, and yes, the, <laughs> and, <each other. laughs> and he loves that sound. And I know that's not a flute, but you know, it's a similar kind of sound. You know,
0: were you just singing one? Yeah, yeah,
2: that.
1: Yes. Yeah, those New have Yeah, the the best songs in in that game, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, so he picked up the it's reasonable. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> I, I approve. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's funny cuz my he, I feel like my son kind of looks like Link too. He's got the long hair, the long hair and the pointy ears. Yeah, he's <laughs> he, kidding. Well, he really yeah, he really does have like you don't see it if he would, you know, put his hair behind his ears the way that Link uh-huh. does, you would see he does have Slightly elfish ears, but oh.
0: has he done the whole link for Halloween Halloween yes, thing? of course, okay, yes, he has, good, and we good. did
1: get the little you know rubber ears, uh-huh. the little elf ears to put on there, yeah. Uh-huh. We did like a homemade, yeah, we always kind of did the homemade costumes for him though. So we yeah. just like, you know, made it out of felt. It was like, okay, you're going to. Yeah,
0: you guys <laughs> sound like a really nice like DIY family and it just reminds me of my family experience oh, growing cool. Up. It's cool.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so he picked up the flute for band um, and he really liked that. And so he really first started playing with us on the flute. So when Essential Machine started, it was just me and RJ as a duo and sometimes Robert would come up. He had a couple of songs he played flute on. And, and what um, age
0: was he when he was doing that? Like still a little kid?
1: He was eight years old. Oh Yeah, when we started. What a sensation. Yeah. And actually, so that year, it was 2009, um, as the duo Essential Machine, RJ and I decided we were going to go on a little tour that we booked ourselves, and it was like coffee shops because we were um, – this was back when I was playing um, the glockenspiel or xylophone or – I guess it's technically concert bells, but I just say xylophone because most people... Uh That thing you whack with mallets. That thing, yeah. Which it was actually... RJ's dad is a um, – well, well, he's retired now, but he was a high school art teacher. And the way that we got the glockenspiel is that his high school he was working at, they were actually going to throw it away. Ah! And it was – and so he rescued it for us nice. from <laughs> from the, the trash. And, um, yeah, so in 2009, when Robert was eight years old, we went on this little tour. And so, like, we went to Greensboro, North Carolina. We went to um, – Savannah, Georgia. Um, And then because our we have family in Florida. So the whole thing was like, okay, we'll like make our way down and, you know, pick up some shows on the way and then play a show for our family and everything down there. And I remember that was when Robert was, you know, he wasn't like really in the band, but, you know, he would come up and play his songs on flute. And of course, he was traveling with us. And I just remember um, him being like, we like, oh, we're doing this, you know, and I kind of felt like he was starting to sort of take some. His own identity. In the yeah. Band. He was starting to have a little bit of a stake in the band himself because I think he was starting to see, you know, how he could fit in as a musician as well with us. Mm. So, but then from there, um, he learned how to play um, keyboards, which is what he plays in Essential Machine now. Right. So he plays like a synth sort of, um, you know, key parts and then he also plays bass. So he has two little machines, which honestly, I don't even, I can't, I couldn't even set up his yeah. Stuff. So I don't know what all's going on over there. Um, but, um, but he does that. And now he's learned how to play guitar. And he, um, I think he's actually starting his own band with some friends of his. Yeah. Is what he's looking to do as well. Yeah. I was just so. going to
0: ask, like, so when you're eight and you get to play with your parents, it's like, <laughs> cool. And then like, maybe I just think like probably at some point you're like, Maybe it's like not so cool anymore. I don't know. Like, is there any hint of that? I mean, because also you guys play like good shows, so <laughs> it'd be. I feel like conflicted. I'd be like, no, it is cool, but, uh, but I'm with my mom and dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does he have? Do you? Can you detect that at all, or is he just like cool that He like. Loves I feel his like cool for
1: the. I feel like for the most part, he he just thinks it's cool. We're not the traditional family, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly completely different from, you know, my experience growing up with parents who weren't artistic really, or didn't, you know, at least keep that in a, as a part of their lives. I think both my parents were artistic when they were younger, but, you know, then they both got jobs working in a factory, you know, for their whole lives and, you know, raising kids and they didn't really, you know, continue to, you know, keep that in the forefront at all. But I think that with Robert, you know, he, yeah, he still sees us as his parents, but I think that we kind of have a different relationship with him because, well, one, he's an only child. So he's always been around adults kind mm-hmm. of his whole yeah. life. And as I'd said, you know, a lot of our friends didn't have kids. So he would just be hanging out with us and our friends, you know, and there, a lot of times he'd be the only kid, you know, and it was never like, oh, there's a kid here. It was just like, oh, Robert's here, you know? Mm-hmm. So he just always kind of, you know, blended in. And, and um, I don't think that he really thinks like, oh, yeah, I'm in this band, but it's with my parents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're lucky in that way that, that he still thinks that we're cool.
0: <laughs> How old is he now? He's 16. 16. So he's still pretty... I mean, he's still a young guy, but it's definitely yeah. getting to be like super independence mode. So yeah. it's cool that he's, you know, looking to start his own band. I mean, that's probably going to be a really good activity yeah. for him. Point. He's got that possibility in his destiny because <laughs> you have really set... Given him the kinds of opportunities that, I mean, you just don't get is the person that age already knowing what it's like to record at home, record in a studio, right. play at Mr. Small's Fun House on a Friday night for like a major... Um, like, I mean, the lineup yesterday was like, very good. It, you know, Mm -hmm. you guys essential machine (laughs) and the telephone line and recluse and Lofi Delphi. So like, you he's probably got like the coolest parents. (laughs) That's like some awesome opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I also really love the part of the story where you chose to keep working on things and how that ended up coming to bring the creativity to a new level. Like the the obstacle being like the feelings you had about whether or not you should keep creating after you have a kid mm-hmm. and then how you overcame that and how that blossomed into something new and even, even better. Right. And especially for you bringing you into music because you through your pregnancy, you learned the guitar and then you started getting your feet wet. and where did the drums happen <laughs> <laughs> when you moved to Pittsburgh? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So actually, um, in January, it'll be my four year anniversary of playing the drums. Wow. So I Only learned four
0: years. Yeah. Wow. Do you think you have a natural knack for, uh, that sort of instrument? I,
1: I think I have an advantage. I, when learning the drums, because I was a tap dancer as a kid. Oh. So I, you know, wow. have a lot of experience with making rhythms and i mean that's all and with tap your feet yeah and that's all yeah and you know and i did other types of dance too um as a kid but tap was always my favorite so i think huh. i always maybe you have a natural i'm learning. lucky in that way that i think i just have you know to be able to you know i think one of the biggest challenges when you're learning drums is to be able to move all four of your limbs independently For and sure. make them all do what you want them to do um and that wasn't you know, so difficult for me, it was more of actually learning like the techniques and learning, um, you know, how to write drum parts and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it came about really because, you know, we decided that we wanted to take the band from a duo to a full band. Um, I think RJ and I were realizing that, you know, as much as we liked playing like the folkier type of music and we liked, you know, playing in coffee shops and things like that, um, We really wanted to be a rock band, you know. We wanted to
0: see. be so on. When you were on tour, you know, and and Robert was playing the flute, and you were going to coffee shops. You were playing guitar. I was playing the the bells. The bells. Yeah. Right. Okay, you said this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you were playing the bells, and yes. he and our, was playing the guitar.
1: Yeah, RJ was singing. Yes, and I sang with him. So in some of our earlier stuff, I would sing harmonies, or um, in some cases, I guess, yeah, I guess in some cases, I. I was singing like on verses and stuff too on my own. And when I first started playing drums, I was still singing along with playing the drums. And I kind of gave that up just because I felt like I wanted to get more into the technique of really getting into my instrument. And it was just sort of an extra kind of challenge to be like, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be singing right now. You know, as I'm like, uh, uh-huh. focused on, you know, the next part, you know, and, and what fills coming next. And, um, and just also, well, I was just telling RJ last night that, um, if he would get me one of the like gooseneck, um, mic stands, then mm-hmm. I would probably be able to, at this point now, sing just some backup vocals. Sure. Because the thing I didn't like about it was, just logistically, it's kind of a nightmare to have this like boom stand that's sort of like over your shoulder when you're trying to have full movement of your arms and all that kind of stuff and making sure like I'd have to kind of be moved to the side, you know, I'd have to move my face to the side a little bit. It was just, it was just, it was just more difficult. But now I think
0: that, well, I mean, if I see a drummer (laughs) singing, I'm always like, wow, (laughs) because it's like, so it just seems so difficult
1: yeah and it's yeah it's definitely not easy so during that learning process i'm like you know what i'm just going to not be singing for a while because i need to learn this instrument and focus on this and you know but i mean i'm still singing <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm usually i'm either singing in my head or i'm singing kind of along under my breath while i'm playing anyway because i really um i really go off of kind of vocal cues more than anything else whenever i'm playing um Hmm. Yeah.
0: So so you picked up you got a drum kit. Yeah. And you were like dip, 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 dip. and then like how did, like did you take a lesson? Did you do, 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 I didn't did RJ take... just say
1: do this? Or did you yeah. listen
0: to things and just play
1: along? How much RJ did you was really my drum coach, is what I call him. Because it's not that he um, not that he taught me so much as he just kind of was there to sort of help me with some guidance and some coaching along the way, just based on what he knew of playing drums and, you know, cause he, he can play too. I mean, he's never played like in a band play mm-hmm. drums, but his brother was a drummer growing up. So he would have some access to a drum kit and he obviously knew some things. And so, yeah, um, basically started with a bunch of secondhand pieces. We had, um, our neighbor, Gave us um, a floor tom, and a friend of ours gave us a bass drum or kick drum, and we ordered like a really cheap little drum throne online and like one cymbal, you know, and you know one oh yeah, that's right. And we did have um, a snare from a friend too. So I started out with this really tiny little, you know, mm-hmm. tiny kit that really wasn't too much of of anything. Um, nothing like what I play now. And I just started figuring out how to play Essential Machine songs from our most current record at that time, which would have been um, Lonely Telephone. Um, So the goal was I was going to learn how to just really simply be able to play those songs well enough so that we could put together (laughs) a show with a drummer. So that's how it started. So it's almost kind of like I... um, it almost started as like a cover drummer. Like I was just an essential- <laughs> covering your own. Yeah, I was covering my own songs, but I was covering, um, you know, RJ in the past for our recordings prior to that, prior to me learning drums, RJ played drums on our records, but it was like, you know, it was through the software. It was electronic. Uh-huh. It wasn't a live kit. He was doing it with. Yeah. So he had created these drum parts. <laughs> Like electronically, yeah, and then They're I had like to probably impossible, to yeah, play then, by a human, yeah, <laughs> and then I had to learn how to play them. And in some cases, you know, we might have just simplified it. You know, sure, it sure. was really just, you know, in the beginning, it was just can you just keep a beat and get through a song, yeah. and you know, that's and how, how much. I,
0: how much time did you spend sitting there working on it?
1: Um, I spent a good amount of time because what I ended up doing. This is how RJ knew that I was serious. Um, Because I was just sort of casually saying, well, you know, if we're looking for a drummer, because we thought, well, maybe we need to find a drummer, Um, you know, but who would that be? And do we know anybody? And then I just casually said, well, I could always learn how to play the drums because I, you know, I'd be open to that. And I think he was kind of like, okay, thinking sure. And then the next day I was like, I'm bringing that, you know, bass drum out of the basement that Chris gave us, our friend, you know, so that I can have a place to practice, Mm -hmm. you know. And so... I set all my stuff up in the living room. And I think that's when RJ was like, Oh wow. Like she's, she's going she to do this. Like she's doing this. And she's now, and that was kind of the beginning of turning our living room into just a full fledged studio. So now we have no couch and no <laughs> other furniture in the room. It's literally just when you walk in the door of our house, it's just a studio with uh-huh. full drums set up. And Robert has his corner. RJ has his corner. Wow. So- <laughs> what
0: a dream house. <laughs> wow. It's <that's> crazy. <laughs> So, um, and then, so four years ago you started learning the drums and then is that coinciding with when, uh, Robert started doing the synth stuff and you brought your neighbor, Matt yeah. into it and yeah. he plays guitar also. Yeah.
1: So that's whenever we were like, okay, we're kind of building a full band here now. So that was me on drums. And then, um, our friend Matt on guitar who Matt had already worked with RJ on a, a solo project that he had done. Cause RJ was doing some recording of some you know other projects at home. Um, so that's how they had met and so we asked him to join and then it was like, well, we need bass. Who do we know who plays bass guitar? And then we were like, well, Robert can play the keys and we can probably get him to play bass on keys, you know? And we were just like, Hey, will you do this? And Robert said, sure. Yeah. Awesome. So (laughs) you were already called essential machine though, right? So what, um, what, where does that band name come from? Oh my gosh. It's such a long time ago, and it's one of those things where we feel like we have such a love-hate relationship with our name because sometimes we're like, oh, why did we pick that as our name? Just because I think the words are sometimes hard for people to understand. Like if you're in a club somewhere and someone's like, what's the name of your band? And you're like, a central machine, and they're like, central what? <laughs> you know, like it doesn't... Essential teen? Yeah, yeah, right yeah. That's creepy. Oh. Right. It's your son. What? Oh, right. <laughs> so sometimes we're like, why did we pick the word essential and machine? Anyway. I so you um, don't remember. Well, we remember, um, we don't remember too much in detail, but it basically had something to do with like the heart is the essential machine of the body. Okay. And our first little logo for essential machine was um, a drawing of a heart that RJ's brother had done. I see. So that's the okay. only explanation we really remember. I think there was a bigger conversation about it. Um, I, um, I don't know, but that's all I remember. But now <laughs> essential machine transformed into an
0: even essentialer machine yeah. with the formation of, um, drums and guitar and the, and the synths and everything. And it's cool. It's really, it's, it's cool. It's like original. It's just every in every dimension. Thank okay. You. so you guys are having
1: your fifth record soon. Yes. When is that due? Um, January fifth. Yes. so January. the new. yes. so the new record's coming out. January fifth. January 5th, and it's
0: called Poison Control. Yes. And it sounds very theatrical. let me let me read this thing <laughs> that you guys have written about it because I think it's it it sounds so theatrical the way you have written about it. Maybe this is because you are, a writer, uh, lyrically poison control provides cinematic snapshots and fragments of feelings, repetition, vivid imagery, and unexpected metaphor set up shop as one might expect from a band whose drummer is a poet. <laughs> <laughs> Musically, many of the songs come with a driving urgency and the riff happy guitar work of a band like the war on drugs traces of essential machines, folky duo origins surface on the new EP, but more often we get glimpses of Essential Machine as an epic rock rock outfit. <laughs> Album closer burn 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 might be the triumphant closing number of a movie that does not yet exist. <laughs>
1: To <laughs> right that's a really that's your you must have written that right actually i did not for the first time we actually had somebody else write a, a bio for oh, us You did, yeah um which was actually a great i think decision because well uh, as you can tell because yeah. you just read you it get
0: that perspective it's like a different perspective yeah
1: because yeah. i've always just written all the things you know describing us obviously like in our our bio mm-hmm. and everything and this time um is it the kind of thing where I should mention who it was? You can, sure. <laughs> yeah. Andy Mulkerin. I was going to guess it was. I was going to say you probably know who it is. Andy Mulkerin <laughs> wrote yeah. the bio for us. He did so, a great job. Yeah. So we were really, really pleased, um, and we were really happy with what with what he came yeah. up with. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's very good. It's so it makes it sound so theatrical and everything. <laughs> so I have a question about one of the songs. Yes. Um, because it's related to the kind of stuff we were just talking about. So the opening song, "The Outsider." Mm-hmm. It, the the story in it is about it's about these interactions but kind of between an indie rock drummer and a writer <laughs> and i'm just wondering if those are both you within inside yourself like you're talking to pieces of yourself or did you write this song yes
1: yeah i wrote that well uh-huh. the way i guess i should kind of explain like with our with the with our songwriting process this is the way that things work with the lyrics so uh-huh. i come up with i i don't know i write I write stuff, but I don't necessarily write it like, okay, here's the first line. Here's the second line of the song. You know, I kind of do my process that I do when I write a poem or -hmm. when I write anything else, which is, it's just a bunch of free writing and a bunch of ideas and fragments and things. And I put it on the page. And then I give it to RJ. And then he kind of helps, you know, me sort of put everything together in the context of verse and chorus. And mm. we figure out, oh, that word doesn't sound really right when you're singing it, or like, oh, I really thought this was gonna sound cool, but let's change this, you know, that kind of stuff. So so yeah, so I but all of the sort of theme all the ideas for the songs thematically are coming from my notebook basically. Um and so that particular song I actually was just um I was sitting there one night and I was like, I I don't know where it really came from, but I guess you don't really know a lot of times where things come from, Um, but somehow I just thought I... I imagined actually a film like beginning. That's why it says, you know, we open on, you know, and I, I don't have any experience in like screenwriting or, you know, writing for a film or anything like that. But I am always interested in that kind of stuff. It's like the idea for it came from I was actually um, I was reading an article in the New York Times or something. And then I sent it to myself because I do this thing where if I want to, you know, like keep track of something or reread it, I send it to myself. So I like emailed it to myself. And then I was like, um, just started writing about a person who's sitting there, you know, writing or sending a letter or an email to somebody. And then it just kind of like spiraled from there. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And then RJ actually had helped me with, um, with the second part Um, cause this happens a lot. A lot of times I'll have like a really good idea for the first verse and then I bring it to him and we're like, okay, this is great. But now what happens next? So then the second verse or the second part of the story where it's like from the drummer's perspective, we came up with that a little more together, Mm -hmm. but it started originally me just kind of sitting there, um, writing about myself, kind of, I guess.
0: Yeah, but so the writer and the indie rock drummer, they're not both you or they are both you or the, one of them is some mythical other yeah, person? Yeah, I
1: don't feel like they're both me. I feel like I'm the... Um, I like reading it and thinking of it Yeah. Of
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> I like listening to it and thinking, oh, just like two
1: pieces of yourself. Yeah, but the idea of like, the whole idea of being the outsider mm-hmm. is always something that I've been concerned with or interested in because, you know, more and more, I think even with the way that our lives are with technology and with kind of the way that things are, a lot of times we're a little more disconnected than we might want to be, or we might not feel like we're in a part of a community. So that idea of being the outsider, always looking in at these other people who seem to have, you know, some kind of connection that you don't feel like you're able to have.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But do you think all those people actually are also not having real connections?
1: Right. Well, and that's the thing is that it's, it's all about the perception perhaps. And maybe we're all feeling like outsiders. And if we would all tell each other that, then we could. (laughs) So you feel like an outsider. Yeah. I think that I definitely do. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Tara's raising her. Yeah. (laughs) I was swimming in the
0: ocean with dolphins like a couple (laughs) weeks ago and I was out there and I was like, I just, I just was feeling like. So at home in the ocean with dolphins and I looked back at the beach and I was like, I just feel like I don't belong anywhere Mm -hmm. except like right here, Mm -hmm. like in this little (laughs) spot. I feel like an outsider. Like I never feel like an insider. I always Mm -hmm. feel like an outsider. So
1: outsiders unite. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of like a theme within our family. The three of us, me and RJ and Robert, it's like, I feel like we've always felt like it's kind of the three of us against the world, so to speak, you know, uh-huh. because we are very close and we are very kind of, kind of isolated in some ways because we're just so busy with trying to do all of the stuff that we're doing that, you know, we're our main little, mm-hmm. you know, group.
0: It sounds like, like, I mean, some of your stories about RJ and how he started, but he was, you know, he had a passion and he's just making making headway in it one, one way or another and like how you are like this too. And in this family unit, you're just like carving your own path and not following whatever's the easiest route, but like mm-hmm. insisting that it be <laughs> your own. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, Okay. So as a, so you are a writer though. Yes. And, um, so you said that your parents were not continuing their artistic stuff as, as parents, I guess, but, um, where did your inspiration to begin writing come from? And did you do a degree in that?
1: Um, yeah, I did end up doing a degree. Um, I got an MFA in poetry um in 2008. I actually went back to school when when my son went to kindergarten mm-hmm. and decided to um Yeah, that's really kind of, that's like another sort of milestone in my life. I look at it as anyway, um, when he started school, it was kind of like, okay, I've gotten this child to this point where, you know, he's in school now and there's a little more, you know, I, there's a little more time kind of to sort of be, you know, an individual because Mm -hmm. when you're spending all of your time with your, with your child, there can be a, a lot of that feeling of, well, am I really my own thing, or am I just a mom? Am I just, you know, connected to this person? So it was almost kind of like I had to have a little bit of space, you know, to be able to say, Hey, you know, I can pursue things, you know, it's okay for me to, you know, get a degree and study, um, you know, poetry. Um, But I I, I've wanted to be a writer since I was a very little kid, you know, I mean, I've just always loved reading and books. And um, it's just always something that I wanted to do. I never really knew how I was going to get there. Because I, you know, growing up in a small town and, you know, working class parents, it's not like there was any sort of blueprint or instructions for how to become, uh, you know, a novelist or how to become a writer and publish books. It's like, how do these books get into this bookstore? I don't even know. Dude,
0: you know? I wonder, <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> so just having an MFA is not going to get you that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely true. Do so you have an undergraduate degree then too. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, so it was one of those things where, you know, all through like high school, for example, I had a an English teacher that was really influential, um, who I think really saw something in my writing and was the first person, this was when I was, um, a junior in high school was really the first person to say like, wow, you know, are you interested in this? Because I feel like you could do this. You know, you have a, you know, you have some kind of a a skill or a talent in writing. And that was the first time I was kind of like, oh, wow. So somebody's recognizing this in me, but it still wasn't really clear to me kind of what to do. So I was like, well, I'll get a degree in English. So I went to college and got a bachelor's degree in English and, you know, took some creative writing courses and everything. Had more, you know, experiences with, you know, some writing teachers who really inspired me. But then I ended up having my son, well, I got pregnant like a year after um, college graduation. So I was not really like, that wasn't really enough time to do too much to kind of set up Sure. Any anything as far as that was concerned. So I really kind of put it on hold. I mean, I, I still always wrote things, and um, certainly was still interested in it. But it wasn't until I went back to school and got my MFA that I really started figuring out. Okay, how can I try to publish things? How can I try to you know make these connections or figure out how this whole thing is done? And where did you do your MFA? Um, New England College. Okay. Is and it, in Florida. No, this is in New Hampshire. It was actually it's a low residency program, so that so you, you can do it from yeah. The, from so I was place. living in Florida at the time, and so you would work. Um, it was actually it's a really great model because it really helps you. Um, well, for one, it helps you from the beginning, figure out a balance between your writing and your life. Because, you know, I was teaching high school and raising a kid and had a family and everything. And then I was still, you know, doing this work every month. You sent in your poems and all of your critical work to Mm -hmm. a a mentor and and they sent feedback. And then twice a year, we would all get together at these residencies, which were like these 10 day, we called them poetry camp, you know, because it Uh was just like a bunch of poets, you know, hanging out together for 10 days and reading poetry. And you know, going to classes and and workshops and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and your focus was poetry and that thing. Yes, day. yeah, my focus was poetry. Um, honestly, if I, well, I mean, I hate to say that I would do anything over again, um, but sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I had studied fiction because I feel like that's a little more where my interest lies. Um, I mean, poetry, I think was sort of my entrance into the whole kind of writing world. Um, but what I'm working on now is a novel and that's what I really want to kind of pursue. I think Mm -hmm. for the rest of my time here,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) What on earth, on the planet. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There you go. Just this one epic novel. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hopefully many, um, you actually have an agent. Yes. So how did you get an agent? What's it like to have an agent?
1: Well, um, I figured it all out on my own. So basically, um, when I was done with the MFA in poetry, I was really inspired to write a memoir. I had been reading a lot of memoirs, and I had an incredible mentor. Her name's Paula McLean um, at New England College. Um, And she really was somebody who, you know, not to sound cheesy, but, you know, she really took me under her wing, so to speak. And I really think that, you know, she saw something in me that perhaps even I didn't see at the time. And when I had told her, because, you know, most people who were there were only interested really in writing poetry. But I, when I told Paula, well, I, you know, I want to write a memoir. I want to write novels. Uh, and she's a cross genre writer as well. Um, And she was just kind of like, yeah, then do that, you know, and you can do that. And so, yeah, like there's no rules. Exactly. So, and a lot of my poetry that I had written during my time in the MFA program was very autobiographical and very personal and almost kind of like memoir in, in poet, you know, in, in poem form. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she really kind of encouraged me to, you know, if that's what you want to do, then, then just get started. And so I just started writing. Um, I worked on a manuscript of the memoir for a couple of years. And then I basically just, you know, like went online and was like, okay, how do you get published? How do you find an agent? How do you write a query letter? And I just kind of figured everything out on my own and just sort of, you know, cold emailed and queried a bunch of agents. I was lucky enough to get a lot of nice responses and a lot of, you know, good feedback. Um, But eventually, I was able to find my agent who um, I'm still working with now. So she worked with me on the memoir and um, helped me sell the memoir or I guess sold it for me. Um, And now she's working with me on this novel, which I'm actually in the late stages of it. It's almost ready to be um, hopefully sold (laughs) to an editor. Um, I actually... um, I had a, I feel so official and fancy saying this. I, got, I had a conference call in September uh-huh. with my agent and an editor, um, from one of the big publishers nice. in New York. And she is very interested in the manuscript, but she had some things that she wanted, uh, you know, me to revise. And so I've been working on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my, um, my last question for you about the, uh, about the writing
0: is, you know, about emotions and writing. Obviously, they're very tied together in general, but also with you, especially wanting to write memoirs or trying to figure out your own identity and having that as part of your personality. Do you find, um, which area do you find to be most healing or do you find you're most vulnerable in? Um, writing poems, memoirs, or songs, mm. <laughs> or the fiction?
1: I really think that it comes out in everything that I do. I really don't feel that I can stop the emotion from coming out in my work. So it's it's really just the thing that drives me. So even like now, like this novel that I'm writing, yes, it's fiction. But when I really think about it, um, you know, the book is still about many things that are are personal to me, even though it's fictional characters and situations that I haven't been in myself, my sort of emotional kind of temperature comes out in the work because mm-hmm. it's the things that I'm concerned about and it's the emotions that I want to explore. I'm just exploring it. It's actually kind of, um, it's liberating for sure, going from writing poetry and memoir, which I all felt, I felt those are both very much rooted in, you know, like the truth or things that really happened. Because when I would approach poetry, I was always thinking of it from, you know, coming from a place of, I want to write about real things and experiences. And of course, in memoir, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, stories from my life and real things. But even in fiction, um, you know, those things still come out. And so it's interesting because I think, oh, well, you know, in fiction, I can do whatever I want and I, you know, I'm going to not, I'm going to write differently or, um yeah, I think I've just been kind of surprised at how personal it is to write fiction for me, mm-hmm. because it's still coming from a place of, you know, wanting to convey a certain sort of emotion.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's your brain doing it. So it has to, <laughs> in, right? It has to be part yeah. of you. Okay, so we talked a lot about um, women's stuff already. But um, do you have anything additional that you would have wanted to talk about or anything like any experiences or um, times that you really felt the female stuff yeah. was,
1: like affecting you <laughs> in a ways other than what we already talked. Well, the one thing I would I I would like to talk about a little bit is um having the experience of being the only woman in a band um, has been really kind of enlightening for me and I think it's helped me going back to that whole sort of identity <laughs> piece that I'm so interested in. It's really helped me sort of figure out who I am because what I realize is if you're going to perform and go up on a stage, you better have a pretty good idea of who you are and where you're coming from. Because if you don't, I think the audience is going to know that. They can tell. Yeah. (laughs) And so um, I think I have gained a lot from being the only woman on a particular stage because that's definitely when I would be aware of the fact that you know I'm the only woman up here and in the beginning it was a little challenging because I would have some ideas like in the very beginning um, I would think well you know if I'm the girl on stage then I'm supposed to be the eye candy, I'm supposed to be dressed a certain, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously I feel, I felt at originally anyway that maybe people would be looking at me differently and they would think, oh, well, why isn't the girl up there or woman, why isn't she dressed real? sexy or whatever. The, right. Yeah. The things, magician's assistant, things you know? like that. Yeah. And that was definitely, I mean, that wasn't, you know, nobody was saying that to me, of course, and nobody was putting that on me. That was just something that I was kind of putting on myself at the time and thinking, well, I need to look at, you know, do I need to look a certain way? Am I, if I'm going to be the female presence on the stage, do I need to evoke some kind of attractiveness or some kind of, you know, you know, do I need to appear desirable because, you know, that's, what women are told sometimes is that that's why we're there to look pretty, you know? So, but it's helped me a lot because it's helped me sort of develop my style as far as how I do want to present myself on stage. Um, and what I find is that I just kind of want to, I just want to be a person up there. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the woman necessarily who's up there, you know, I just want to be a person in the band. And you are. (laughs) Yes. The drummer. That's awesome. Mm.
0: Okay. So we're actually going to listen to one of your tracks. And this track um, is not from the new EP. It's from your last record. Yes. Correct? Mm-hmm. And is this a home recorded record or
1: did you do this in the studio? Also? No, this is a home recorded record.
0: Okay. So is the yes. next EP the first studio album? Yes. You went, yeah. the you one to J Vega, yeah. which
1: is awesome. Yes. The one that's coming out in January is our first record that is... Um, okay in a studio yeah yeah
0: and (laughs) um and and so this is one of your home recorded um albums and this song is actually i think you were describing it to us before is one that you are singing on yes and
1: are you playing guitar yes i'm playing guitar rj plays guitar on it too um and then robert plays um the flute parts which he actually played a couple he um he harmonizes with himself <laughs> on the, cool. on the song. So when you hear the two flute parts, it's both Robert
0: both Robert. Yeah. Cool. And, um, real quick before we listen to it, do you have aspirations to go sort of like the way Robert is going to go start his own thing? And you've played mostly with your husband musically and your family. And like, do you have like Yourself
1: aspirations, like to do a solo thing at any time? I would Maybe. definitely, if, if we ever got to the point where we didn't have day jobs and we were pursuing music and I could, and I was doing music and writing full time, I would definitely love to do some solo work. Mm-hmm. I've actually, um, yeah, I would love to do some solo work. I've actually written. I wrote a few songs. It's been a few years now. Um, I still have them on the file on my computer. I have um, three songs that I started that I was kind of envisioning being like a little kind of side project for me, or just be me on electric guitar um, and singing. But there's only so many hours, hours in the, the day, day. But <laughs> and what is uh, what is this song called? So this song's called "Strange Body." Strange Body. And um,
0: what? Uh, What is it about and where were you when you wrote it? What are the important things to know about it?
1: Well, um, I really wrote the song about this feeling of duality that I've always had where I kind of feel like, again, going back to the identity, you know, the idea of, you know, who am I? And when I think of who I am, I realize that I have different sort of aspects to myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm not just one person. You know, we contain multitudes and everything like that. So when I was writing this, I was just really thinking about my own experience of trying to just, you know, reconcile all the different parts of myself, you know, the introvert and the extrovert, my per, my private self, and then my public self that I show to other people. Um, and it really was inspired by it's one of the lines in the song is everybody loves you when they think you're someone else. And that was kind of the starting point for me for the song, for the idea of it, because it's one of those things where when I do feel like I am kind of putting on one of my personalities or personas, you know, cause we present ourselves differently to different like, people like surely. Yeah. And when I think about, sometimes I would think, well, you know, sometimes whenever I'm sort of pretending and being somebody else, that's the version that some people seem to like more. And how does that make me feel, you know? And that's really where the idea for the song came from.
0: Oh, so interesting. Okay, cool. Let's listen to it. so dreamy yeah thank beautiful. you yeah so strange bodies in a strange, strange body sky.
1: in a strange sky strange body so i was strange thinking sky. of you know celestial uh-huh. uh, body but then but you also talk about sunsets and the yeah. dark and yeah. yeah even an
0: airplane is a strange body a strange yeah sky? <laughs> a, a cloud. very strange body and <laughs> a strange sky
1: yeah because i think that i was trying to evoke that idea of you know that's how i feel sometimes going through life is that you know how, how did I get here and am I in the right place? Am I where I'm supposed to be? Or, you know, am I that strange, you know, that UFO flying in the sky and nobody <laughs> knows why you're there?
0: You yeah. Know? <laughs> and now, though, the question, real question is like, does it really matter if you know that right. answer? Yeah, exactly. I don't think that it does it. I don't think that it does yet. I am always compelled also to think I'm always thinking about things like that, but, and probably a lot of people are. Um, so it's great that you write about that because that's what connects a lot of people, especially music sometimes is a great connector just because people who do feel alone in their feelings or their thoughts can hear that reflected in someone mm-hmm. else and then they don't feel quite right. so alone and then they feel that connection yeah. and then they're not the outsider
1: right just to bring it all exactly the wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah i think that's that's why i've always been drawn to music i mean even as a even as a little girl it was that idea that wow like i can hear somebody sharing something that i can relate to and that somehow makes me not feel so alone mm-hmm well,
0: thank you so much for coming on this show. This has been a really, um, special time, I think, cause I feel like I just, it's nice to see, a, an intimate description of a person who has these feelings and then like just says, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing by creating, but I'm doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm staying with that because that's the key to my existence and, and how you share that with your family and, um, And I don't know. It's just, it's just nice to see someone carving out their own path in a a landscape now where, you know, there's a lot of homogeneity Mm -hmm. and, um, it's just good to see that in an authentic way. So. Thank you. And thank
1: you, thank and you, thank you so much much for, for having me.
0: Yeah, and um, everybody go check out Essential Machine and look for the album to drop in January, early January, January fifth, yes, twenty eighteen. It'll be on Spotify and all the places. Yes, yes it will. It will yeah. be everywhere. I'm so excited. Thank cool. you. All right, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. You've been listening to Petticoat Rule, galvanizing women in musical creativity. The views and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the producers. Subscribe and find more information and episodes at petticoatrule.net. Follow us on Facebook at Petticoat Rule and on Instagram and Twitter at PetticoatRuleFM.